Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop, which is taking place on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer to sign up. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to identify simple solutions and systems that will make a massive difference and ripple effect inside of your center. I'm going to help you create efficiency where you need it most and understand what is causing your school to feel so hectic and where those big pain points are. We're going to clarify your center's priority system to improve this summer. I'm going to show you how to audit those systems. We're going to define your desired outcomes, and you're going to leave the workshop with a simple plan that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes. Super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer, and I'll see you there. Welcome to the Schools of Excellence podcast, where we have conversations about education, leadership, and building a school of excellence. The goal on this show is to bring you clarity, up-level your mindset, and give you practical strategies and inspiration so you can show up with confidence and trust your decision-making. I'm Khani Wolshansky. I'm a mom of four under 10, a former New Yorker, and been in the early childhood field my entire life. And I'm so grateful that you've joined me for this conversation. Hello there. Welcome back to another episode of the Schools of Excellence podcast. Today, we're talking about how to create your school org chart. So when most people get started with their childcare center, you are, you know, the person who's wearing all the hats, right? You're the owner, you're the director, you're also part-time in a classroom a little bit. Um, you are managing payroll, you're writing the checks, you're doing the grocery shopping, you're doing all the things. And then slowly, as time goes on, you start to hire. You start to um, build your, you know, leadership team. and. What happens a lot as owners start to build their leadership team or administration um, is we kind of lose sight of why we're building an org chart and why we even have an org chart and why is it important to have organizational infrastructure inside of the business. So today's conversation is hopefully going to shed some light into the purpose of an org chart, where people go wrong with org charts. Um, and then how you can start to think about your own company's org chart uh, from a different perspective. Now, there are dozens of trainings, phenomenal speakers, business events and conferences that you could go to that will give you amazing insight into how to build a proper org chart. Today's conversation is specifically in the context of childcare. It is specifically in the context of early childhood leadership and how the org charts in small business in early childhood differ from building corporate structures. Um, so if you're listening to this and you are part of a huge franchise or a big corporation, I think the insight of today's conversation will hopefully give you some perspective on how to look at your org chart with maybe a little bit more humanity. But if you're a small business, which the vast majority of our audience are small business owners, Today's conversation will give you some hope and some opportunity for what's to come as you start to grow and scale your childcare center. So designing, you know, the school success blueprint, which is how I really look at the org chart, 
It's really about understanding what fuels collaboration, communication, and well, mainly just collaboration and communication and results um, inside of the company. Okay, so the blueprint, the org chart blueprint is designed to do those things, right? Collaborate all the human beings together, ensure there's effective communication, and that we're driving results. So I want to start off with when you design your org chart, you have to remember that you're always designing two org charts, the one you have now and the one you're going to have in six months from now. So I speak about this all the time when I talk about company growth, when I talk about the pyramid of excellence, uh, when I talk about kind of any next level, you're always building two things, right? The business you have now and the business you're going to have in six months from now. So when you're designing your org chart, you're building the org chart that you're going to have right now. And then the org chart that you're going to have in six, 10, 12, 15 months from now. The reason why you have to constantly be looking at your org chart like a dynamic blueprint and not this static thing that gets laminated, you know, and put inside of the office is because as the company grows, the needs grow, the needs of collaboration grows, the needs for the different levels of communication grows. So the team has to grow, the team has to evolve. So the way the org chart is designed is going to change, right? And so when you're designing it, you're designing a framework that's really looking at collaboration, efficiency, and the communication and the results. So let's just understand what an org chart is. Okay, an org chart is a visual representation or a diagram that illustrates the formal structure of an organization, right? It showcases the different positions, the roles, the reporting, the relationships, all of that within the institution. And so by mapping the organizational structure, you're able to create kind of this visual framework of the chain of command, of decision-making, of processes, and the overall flow of communication and who reports to who inside of the school. Okay, so it's, it can sometimes feel overwhelming when you're trying to build an administrative team. And I think the first part of overwhelm that typically comes in for school leaders is the financial part. I can't afford to hire. I can't afford to hire this person. I can't afford to hire that person. And one of the things that I was talking about with uh, one of our owners uh, probably six months ago, I said, what do you have more time of? What do you have more of, time or money? Which one do you have more of? Pick. She goes, well, I have more money. I said, great. So that's why you're going to go higher. Because what you have to understand is the most valuable asset in your arsenal as a school owner, as a school leader, as the CEO, whatever title you have, is your time. And so when you understand the value of your time and what you need to be doing with your time, you don't think about you, you stop second guessing every hiring decision. Now, I'm not saying just go out and hire a whole bunch of people. You want to be intentional about who you hire, how they fit into the company org chart, how they fit into the infrastructure of the, of the organization. We're going to go into all of that. But we need to, you know, play a spade a spade here in understanding that hiring does cost money. And scaling a business has a temporary dip in profitability when you're scaling because you are hiring team. And it takes time until the team actually starts to pay for themselves and be profit warriors inside of the business. So yes, it's really important to hire the right people and make sure that everyone has the right metrics. And it's normal to see a temporary dip in profit margin when you are in a hiring season or in a scaling season. 
So let's talk about six things that leaders get wrong about org charts. Number one, treating org charts as a static and rigid document. Okay, this is like definitely one of the most significant mistakes that org charts are fixed and unchangeable. Org charts are constantly shifting, right? They're constantly rejigging. Okay, now this person's going to report to this person and this person's going to be like this. And these are the only two people that are going to report up to the CEO. Or now only one person is reporting up to the CEO and that person has three direct reports. Like it is constantly evolving and changing as your season of life evolves and change and as the company's goals and projects that the company is managing or going after or the market share that you're going after is shifting. That's how your org chart's going to start shifting also. Okay. Second mistake that leaders make focusing solely on hierarchy. Okay. Org charts often emphasize a lot of reporting relationships and kind of these formal lines of authority. And what happens is we kind of get skewed in our brains a little bit where we start to prioritize hierarchy over collaboration and teamwork. The goal of the org chart is not to design hierarchy. The goal of the org chart is to create collaboration and teamwork. Now you need to understand who's reporting to who and who has decision maker and who, and who can sign off on certain things, absolutely. But if we're going in to design the org chart from the intention of the hierarchy, you miss out on the goal, which is the collaboration and teamwork, right? So we're designing this in a way to foster collaboration not to show who's in charge of who, okay? So that's the second mistake. Third mistake, neglecting communication and engagement. A lot of times leaders look at the org chart and assume that an org chart alone is sufficient to convey information and kind of foster this component of like, oh, okay, well, you know that this person sits next to this person, so you guys should be talking to each other. Or you are the five, you know, directors, so of course you should all be communicating with each other, even though you are in five different locations that are 45 minutes apart from each other. Collaboration does not happen by accident, right? One of the most famous quotes that I love from Esther Perel is anything that is supposed to happen in a long-term relationship has already happened. I'll say that again. Anything that was supposed to happen in a long-term relationship has already happened. So when you have a group of leaders who share similar roles, right? So you have several directors, you have, you know, two curriculum coordinators who are each working on different parts of the curriculum or different locations or whatever it is. Don't assume that because they have the same role or similar, you know, outcome goals and they're reporting to the same person that they're automatically going to collaborate with each other. That almost never happens automatically. It is intentionally fostered and designed and followed through and held accountable and rituals and routines are designed and created for consistent collaboration, right? Just because you have a friend, it doesn't mean you're going to talk to that friend all the time. Just because you have anything, any long-term relationship, it doesn't automatically assume you guys are going to collaborate. You have to be intentional about being there for each other, about supporting each other. So org charts sometimes create this falsified notion in the CEO's or the owner's mind of, oh, you know, they're all directors. Of course, they're going to talk to each other. No, they're not. They're so busy running their own locations and then coming home and running their own lives. They forget that there is someone who is 10 minutes away that is literally dealing with the exact same problem that they're dealing with, right? This is why I started the Directors Inner Circle is to work on solving this existential loneliness problem that exists inside of childcare. We have a massive loneliness issue um, that we really, really have to work on understanding how to solve. Um, and 
and maybe it's never really fully solved. Maybe it's this paradox that we consistently live within, but people who have a similar role doesn't automatically mean they're going to collaborate with another. And that, that, that's, it just doesn't happen that way. Um, so that's the third mistake. Another mistake that a lot of leaders make when they're designing their org chart is they overemphasize titles and positions of power. They place way too much emphasis on what your exact title is and what your position is in the org chart. And, you know, assuming that those with high ranking roles automatically have more influence and more expertise. And that could not be further from the truth. Just because you have a higher role, it doesn't mean you have more influence. It doesn't mean you have more experience. You can have someone way on the bottom of the org chart who has way more influence on the people around them and actually might have way more experience. And they're specifically choosing not to have a leadership role or whatever it is. So, Remember, again, the org chart is designed for collaboration, communication, getting results and efficiency. And so the titles and the roles of hierarchy do not automatically mean that that person is able to have influence on the culture or even the experience or the shared wisdom or knowledge to share with other people on the team. Okay, number five, the fifth mistake that people make with their org chart, neglecting the human element. Okay. Org charts focus on roles and reporting lines, right? That's what the, that's what so much of the, what the visual representation is. But a lot of times the org chart overshadows the human aspect of an organization, right? And we forget that employees are not just positions on the org chart, but the position here is a human individual who has a diverse set of skills, a diverse set of experiences, a unique set of upbringings, a unique set of aspirations. And there is a really important human element when you're designing the org chart. <clears throat> and lastly, the sixth big mistake that leaders make when designing their org chart is using an org chart for control or for micromanagement. Many leaders misuse the org chart as a means of exerting control or micromanaging employees because you report to me. So therefore, you have to do it my way or this way or that way. So now that we understand what an org chart is not, right, and the kind of mistakes that we kind of fall into, and again, there's no shame in if you've made these mistakes or if you're currently making some of these mistakes, the point of this podcast is education. It's awareness. It's self-awareness. It's having a conversation about these concepts so that we can, when we know better, we do better, right? Famous Maya Angelou quote, when we know better, we do better. So <clears throat> let's talk about identifying how to kind of chart these roles. So when you're diving into key roles inside of the organization, and again, we're specifically talking here in the context of childcare. So if you're listening to this and you're not a school leader um, and you run a different type of company, you're not going to understand this dynamic because it's very, very different in corporate America or other small businesses. Okay. So what you typically have inside of a childcare is you have the owner who has an executive director or a COO or a regional manager, right? Someone who sits kind of under them. That can typically happen a lot of the time. Then there could be multiple locations with several different directors. With those several different directors, each director is managing possibly a couple of people on the administrative team. So there might be an assistant director, an office manager, an operations manager, sometimes the operations manager sits above and sits next to the CEO. Um, you might have an enrollment specialist who's essentially specializing in sales and ensuring that the company is constantly making money and enrolling students. You might have an assistant director. You might have someone who deals specifically with challenging behavior or the special ed department. You might have an executive assistant who's taking care of anything related to administration and paperwork and filing. So there's so many different kinds of roles depending on 
how you want to set up the infrastructure inside of your school. And I work with hundreds and hundreds of school leaders, and I have seen so many different kinds of org charts and everyone designs it differently. And I love that. I love that about early childhood leaders. I love that about this industry. Like we do not get chokeholded by this is the way you have to create the org chart. No, it's not. Design it in a way that makes sense for you. Design it in a way, again, that fosters collaboration, communication, efficiency, and results. And if the way that you're designing your administration team does those things, amazing, right? Don't look at what's happening next door to you, excuse me, and how they're designing it, because that might work for them. Always remember, I speak about this all the time, respect the season of life, understand your season of life that you're in. You as a CEO, as a leader, how do you need to design your org chart? Well, you know, what makes sense for you? So let's talk about the success metrics and kind of each role here. Let me kind of get super practical here with you guys. So we have the owner's role, okay? Whether it's the owner, the CEO, whatever it is, the founder. They're typically responsible for five kind of key metrics. Now, again, I am giving you, the ideas that I'm sharing here are not meant to be taken as like biblical truth. This is, for lack of a better metaphor, this is ideas, contextual to a lot of the clients that we coach inside of schools of excellence and the roles and responsibilities that they have and the goals and the vision and kind of value system that they've designed. What I'm going to share with you is meant to be used as a jumping board for education, for you to be able to ask better questions. And also for you to think about, okay, this is great. I'm like, I, I, my mind's starting to turn, you know, maybe I want to get extra support in how to put this together. Maybe I want to go think about this on my own. Like, again, do not take this as like, this is the way it has to be done. I'm giving you a framework for how to start thinking about an org chart, not what to do with your org chart. Okay. So some five key metrics for an owner. Number one, revenue and profitable growth, right? The owner and the founder are responsible for where is the revenue sitting? How is that in relation to the profit? Is there profitable growth that's happening inside of the organization? There are no rules about every single year there must be profitable growth or every single year there must be revenue growth. It's not true. You can have a year of maintenance. You can have a couple months of pause. You can have a couple months of sustainability or just like a flat line going across where you didn't actually grow. There is no right or wrong way for how revenue and profitable growth has to operate. But you do need to be accountable to it, right? Someone needs to be accountable to, if it's not growing, it's with intention, right? Like, okay, we're intentionally not growing our profits because we're building our administration team. So we're going to see a dip in profits. But the goal is we're going to see a six-month delay, six-month stagnation, But at the six month mark, we're going to see a leap again because everyone's going to be up to speed and we're going to be able to start driving profitable growth again, right? So the owner's keeping their pulse on that. Number two, market share and competitive positioning. Not enough owners focus on this. Brand and market share. Far too many owners get sucked into the day-to-day, get sucked into operations, get sucked into which child got a biting incident that day, which sand table needs to be filled with sand. Yes, if you're listening to this, I'm talking to you. You, as the owner, should not be worried about if the sand table was filled that day. And so what's happening is they're neglecting, excuse me, a core metric for them, which is market share and brand share, right? What is their competitive positioning? When we talk about what it means to work on your business. 
all the rage, every single workshop, every single childcare conference you go to, right? I want to be working on my business, not in my business. Okay, what the hell does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means working on your brand and market share inside of your business. It's understanding what share of the market of the community, right, is your business taking over? What brand are you building? What is the reputation that you're continuing to build? What does that legacy look like? You need time to be thinking about that. And that is something that you need to be able to measure. Number three, employee engagement and retention. So we can argue about this, that, you know, directors are responsible for this and they are, it's on their list also. But as the owner, you're also looking at employee engagement and retention, right? Especially your leadership team, you're looking at their engagement level, their performance, their satisfaction, their happiness, their overall quality of life, um, if that's important to you. Number four, customer satisfaction and loyalty. In a world of disposable relationships, as Esther Perel calls it, artificial intimacy, just a lot of disposability and instant gratification, we have let go a little bit of this concept of brand loyalty. And while I, I love and appreciate how we've come far as a society, where people don't stay in businesses just to quote unquote be loyal when they're experiencing abuse or neglect or bullying, right? Like, like that is so beautiful. And I'm so grateful that we've evolved and people feel more empowered. Many people, not enough people. Um, and we still have, you know, a way to go, but a lot more people feel more empowered to feel like they can walk away and have other options if they are being mistreated inside of an organization. But there's also, you know, with that, and I always say like with every beautiful change that we experience as a society, there's, you know, there's always a flip side is this notion of, of loyalty, right? Of customer satisfaction, of connection to the company brand. And when an owner or founder can think about these things, there's a lot of positive ripple effect that comes from being able to focus on what does loyalty mean inside of my business, and lastly, lastly is innovation and new product development. So again, what does it mean to work on your business? Innovation and your product development, right? Your, your school is your product. How are you innovating and up-leveling the product of your business, right? So if you think of a product-based business, like if someone's selling, I don't know, water bottles or widgets or whatever, right? They're constantly looking at, how do I innovate? How do I make this product better? Your product is a service that you sell and the time associated with innovating on the product is a key metric for an owner. Let's go to director. What are some of the key metrics and accountability structure that's needed in an org chart for a director? Number one, teacher retention and staff satisfaction are staff staying? Now you also have to remember like what is a healthy retention number? There's um, industry standards and then there's what you wanna create as your standards, anything under 30%. So if your turnover is under 30%, you're definitely doing really, really well. Anything under 25% uh, shows a lot, shows a leader who's done a lot of work on their culture, on their own personal leadership, on their development and on developing their team. Having turnover under 25%, it doesn't just happen. 
that that's not something that just happens. Um, it is something that is intentionally designed and built. So that is one metric for directors. Another one is parent and community engagement, uh, professional development opportunities, right? Measuring the availability and the participation that teachers have in professional development, the school culture, achievement of school goals, and teacher promotion. So one of the things that I introduced in our owners group uh, maybe two years ago is this notion of understanding that a huge metric of success for a director is how many teachers are ready for promotion. Because if a director is, is developing their staff appropriately, that means the staff are building skills and mental stamina, mental acuity, discernment, uh, better boundaries, emotional regulation, individual advocacy, they're building these skills to be able to take on higher levels of responsibility and be promoted within the organization. Um, and so promotion doesn't mean that the teacher is now promoted to director, right? There's all different levels inside of an organization. And if you want ideas of what a culture of promotion looks like, we have a podcast episode we can link here in the show notes on a culture of promotion um, and what those different roles look like. Uh, but that's a key metric for directors. Like, are your people ready for promotion? Are they ready for the next level of responsibility? The other thing that's available uh, for directors is we actually have something called the Four Forces Diagnostic. And the Four Forces Diagnostic is a tool that assesses the four key areas that directors need in order to be a director of excellence. That's available inside of our Owners HQ program. And our owners run this diagnostic on their directors to see where their strengths and weaknesses lie. And we'll talk about that in a second as you start to build your org chart. All right, let's talk about teachers. So what are the areas that teachers need to do better at, need to be held accountable to that sits on their metrics? So they are the children's development, classroom management, company standards, teacher communication, personal care, personal care like leadership, and parent communication. So these are the six cares. Again, I'll say it again. Classroom management, children, standards, teacher communication, personal care, and parent communication. These are the six performance keys that teachers need to be consistently assessed on and held accountable to in order to be a teacher of excellence. So that's available inside of our directors in our circle. And actually, we did a roundtable conversation a couple of months ago. Oh, gosh. Actually, almost a year ago um, in December of 2022. We did a roundtable conversation on raises, promotions, and bonuses, and different owners shared their infrastructure on how they decide who's ready for a raise, who's ready for a promotion, who's ready for a bonus. And two of our members shared that they use the six performance keys as a metric uh, to ensure when someone is ready, right? So it's not anecdotal data, it's hard data, right? I would say the data doesn't lie. So the six performance keys is a phenomenal resource that if you want access to, you can apply for our directors in our circle and see if it's a good fit for you. So that is the kind of six key areas for staff. Now let's talk about administration, right? Administration can mean assistant director, office assistant, regional manager, operations. There's so many. They're typically responsible for staff performance and development, regulatory compliance, parent satisfaction and engagement, enrollment and retention, curriculum implementation, and operational efficiency. So now let's take a little turn here. I know this episode is a little bit longer than our usual ones, but this is, again, a lot of information inside of here on like how to really design an org chart. So let's talk about some steps that you want to do. Number one, assess the current needs and future goals of the business. 
We need to assess and evaluate the specific challenges, the growth opportunities, and the strategic objectives of your company. And the step really involves considering a lot of factors like how many students do you have? How full is capacity for you? What are your curriculum offers? What is the administrative workload? What are the support requirements? What are some of the changes of expansion or growth that look like? Like all of these things are a big part of designing your current org chart and your future org chart. Then you want to conduct a skills and a gap analysis, right? To determine the resource role needed, educational professionals need to conduct this proper skills analysis, which really involves looking at all of your staff members, right? All of your people and saying, okay, what is this person's skills? What is their strength? What is their area for improvement? One of the things that I think are so important to look at is what is this person's stress tolerance, distress tolerance? How is their tolerance level in managing stress? When you're going into a position of leadership, you are going to be managing stress, not just managing people. You're going to be managing stress. What is your distress tolerance level? Do you know how to manage stress? Do you know how to regulate your emotions? That is a really important part of assessing a person's ability and priming them for are they ready for these positions of leadership as you're building your org chart, right? Because as you identify these gaps, you look at, okay, these are the areas for training um, or additional resources to fill these gaps. Then you look at, let's start developing job descriptions and responsibilities. So start looking at, okay, what is this person's qualifications? What is this person's specific relationships and ability to report and cultivate relationships with adults? Again, just because someone is a really good teacher and knows how to cultivate really good relationships with students and families, that doesn't always translate into knowing how to cultivate relationships with staff. And when you're in a position where you're having a lot of face time with staff, you need to know how to cultivate those relationships and have those relationships. So this is why the assessment, the skills and gap assessment, the job description, the responsibilities, like these are huge parts in designing an effective org chart. Um, And lastly, you're going to recruit, you're going to train, you're going to support, right? You're going to recruit the right people, attract the right qualified candidates. You're going to look at what is going to be the training schedule for these people in positions of leadership. When you put someone in leadership, you can't just put them in leadership and let them sink or swim, right? This is the classic delegation dip. For those of you that haven't listened to that episode, it's a phenomenal conversation on delegating. And so knowing that when you put someone in leadership, You need to train them and give them consistent support and consistently pour into them in order for them to even be able to hold that position consistently and not self-blame themselves or shame themselves. They have to be able to build their confidence, which means they have to be able to raise their confidence level while you're doing that. So a lot of things in this episode, a lot of things in today's conversation, today's training. So what I want to invite you uh, to do after you finish listening to this or watching this is ask yourself a couple of questions. Number one, do I want to build a team? Simple question, but really important to get brutally honest with yourself. Do you want to build a team? Number two, do you want to lead a team? Two very different questions. Building a team and leading a team are very different things. Do you want to lead a team? Do you want to lead a team of multiple people, right? Do you want to lead a team with diverse relationships and complexities and diverse needs and uh, roles and metrics? It's a lot. It's a lot to carry. And we, we have to understand that as we build, we have to lead the team. Number three, looking at 
the company's vision and your why of the organization. Who are the types of people and what are the roles that are needed to take your business from where it is now to where you want it to be in six months from now, and then from where it will be in six months from now, from where you want it to be in two to five years from now. Learn how to dream without judging yourself. So I'll leave you with this final great kind of anecdote. Disney, when they write their screenplays um, and their movies, they have a very specific formula that they work through, of course. Um, But one of the things that they do is they have something called the dreaming room. And inside the dreaming room, Uh, It's designed in a specific way. It's actually designed in a circle. So everyone sits down collaboratively. And that is where they dream of the plot and the script and and what the movie is going to be about, what the story is going to be about. And there's no critiquing in the dreaming room because there's a separate room that's called the critiquing room. And the tables are designed that way as well, where we're going to critique now the script that we brainstormed and dreamed about in the other room. And so what I want to invite you to do is I want you to kind of create your own dreaming room and dream for yourself. What does my dream team look like? What does my dream org chart look like? My current, my future. And stop telling yourself the story as you start to dream of like, but that can never be possible for me, but I can never afford that. But we can't do that. But let me just stay in this reality. Please leave all of those things for when you go to the critiquing room because you'll go there. But first, dream of what is possible for you. So I hope you found today's episode really helpful in just getting some perspective on how to build your org chart and how to put this all together. This is actually a specialty of mine and our company. I do in-person leadership days where we actually work on the company's org chart. We help the team define their roles and responsibilities. We get everyone super clear on their metrics. We help people start to understand how to communicate internally with one another. Again, the point of the org chart is not just the metrics. It's to create collaboration, communication, efficiency, and results. And so once we build that org chart together, then we spend the second half of the day really focused on what are the boundaries we need to put in place? What are the communication we need to put in place? What are the systems we need to put in place? What are the different types of emotional regulation and distress tolerance levels that we need to put in place so we can all work together. So it's a super fun thing I love to do. If you're interested in that, you could definitely send us an email and see if you can get a spot with one of our leadership days. I'd love, love, love to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, And then also, if you're looking for more ongoing support coaching, we also offer a lot of support in building org charts inside of our owners group and our legacy group. So now is the time for you to get support and coaching and mentorship would love for you to apply for one of our programs. Thanks so much for listening this week. If you are loving the Schools of Excellence podcast and have gotten any value out of it for your school, I would love if you can do two things for me. One, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And two, can you please leave us a review? Reviews help other school leaders know that this is the place to learn how to build a school of excellence. And I would be so grateful if you can do that for us. Your help and support makes this show to be able to be listened by the thousands of other school leaders all around the world. Thanks so much for listening, for giving us your time and attention each and every week. And I appreciate that you have joined us. Hey there. 
I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.